Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode of the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, in 2022. Nolan, we have been at this show now for some time. Oh uh, yeah, about four years coming up in March. Yeah, it's nearly four years. Nearly four years, it's insane. But, when you consider that this is episode 192 of It's a Wonderful Podcast... That begins to make a little more sense, that length of time. Yeah, we're coming up on episode 200 soon. I know. We have to really start thinking about that because that's going to come up too quickly if we're not careful and hurt things and, you know, we'll be panicking. What are we going to do for episode 200? We need to really... I volunteer. Uh, the It's a Wonderful Podcast crowd does the Hot Ones Challenge. What's what with the like the hot wings situation? Yeah. Is that what? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> not a chance are you getting me to do that. Anyway, anyway, welcome back, everyone, to It's a Wonderful Podcast in 2022. This week, Nolan, you wanted to do this movie as it has a remake coming out or is out in certain parts of the world currently but coming to britain soon i don't know has this has it been released anywhere yet in america and some other territories it has but not in the uk until january because infamously we do not get the big oscar movies until january no no we don't everybody always talks oh Let's go and watch a nice Oscar movie in November, December. Not for Britain. We nah. get January, February. Which is why, when I was first getting into, say, you know, movie release knowledge and all that kind of stuff, some years back now, people would always call January the dumping ground month. You know? Mm-hmm. Not for Britain. January is like, yeah, great movie after great movie after great movie is what you see in January. I mean, we've so got that, that plus sense. the new Scream this January, so this could be the best January in, like, years. That's a good point. That's a good point. The movie we are, of course, talking about today is 1947's Nightmare Alley, which is about, or has got its remake by Guillermo del Toro uh, mm-hmm. this year as it were um with bradley cooper in the main role now i'm sure we'll get plenty of discussion today on how we feel this new version is going to uh compare to this original version we are talking about today but is that the only reason you wanted to talk about this movie nolan or was there others I mean, the the remake coming out definitely was a version, but uh, also, I'm just going to... This will probably break the... Uh, what? How should I say this? Break the illusion of how It's a Wonderful Podcast works behind the scenes. This is one of the few movies that I can watch without hindrance. Or, like, Ooh. it's available in certain territories, but not here, because this movie is in the public domain and it's free on YouTube. It also happens to be a very famous film noir that Guillermo del Toro is readapting. So a lot of talking points there. Plus, 
let's get your take on this. The circus. How do the you circus. feel about it? I've always been terrified of the circus, to be honest with you, Nolan. We've we spoke about oh, when was it? It wasn't that long ago, I feel. Was it in like November where we did some sort of movie that was semi related to a carnival or something like that? And I kept like carnival talking of souls about or something. Well, me and Janine did do Carnival of Souls. It was something around that time, definitely. But I remember just keep uh, keeping on bringing up the fact that there's something inherently scary about the circus. And, you know, Nightmare Alley isn't a horror movie. It might have a horror movie title. It's no, a it's weird a, movie. It's a noir movie. It's a noir movie, sure. And it's even, it's pretty unique in terms of noir movies, really. I mean, you tend to think of noir movies as crime and detective kind of stories. And this isn't that. This is just about a guy who bites off more than he can chew, basically. He becomes too full of himself. And what's the most, what's the best way of making sure we fail in life, Nolan? It's to become too full of ourselves. Humility yeah, is important. Classic uh, Icarus storyline going for yeah. this one. Exactly. Exactly. So I find this one quite unique in terms of noirs, being the fact that it's not a crime detective movie, because most of the noirs you end up watching are are that. They're all about murder and seedy criminals and death and alcoholism and all that kind of stuff. This is basically just about arrogance, and it's really interesting in that way. But yes, the circus ultimately... I've always kind of been terrified of it. Um, I think I went to one circus when I was very, very young, and my parents always tell me that I was scared of clowns. I don't believe I'm scared of clowns now, but apparently at like two years old, I was pretty scared of clowns. So I think there is something inherently within me that's terrified of the circus. So yeah. I don't think I like the circus as a safe place. I'm afraid of the circus for many reasons. I'm against the circus for many reasons. I think it's a very, it's an exploitation kind of thing. And it's, uh, it is, I mean, it goes back to the whole, the rich coming to watch the poor and the people beneath them perform for them. And I mean, you've, you've probably heard tons of stories about how the circus exploits people. This takes it a little bit different because there is the exploiting going on but it's a lot more subtle this time around and uh you do get a sense that this circus the characters within it do feel somewhat like a tight-knit family yeah i mean look my favorite circus related movie has always been todd browning's freaks from 1932 because that says everything you have just said there and turns it completely on its head whereby the circus, quote-unquote, freaks get their revenge on the people making fun of them and eventually turn her into a weird human-chicken horrible monster. Because it's the early 30s and you could get away with doing whatever the hell you wanted in movies in the early 30s, and that's why we love them dearly. So that's my favourite circus movie. But I, I understand that reading that you have of the circus as this exploitative thing. Um, I feel like there's a little bit of an element to that in this movie. You get a 
a police chief coming, I think, at one point to try and shut down this circus. And we get a display of our lead character, Stanton Carlyle. We get a bit of a display of his natural charm, as it were. And, you know, he basically stops them all being arrested, doesn't he, by presenting himself as a shoulder to cry on almost for this police chief because he's there he's supposed to be basically a psychic isn't he but there's a trick to it obviously because there's always a trick to it unfortunately magic isn't real as much as we like we might like to think it is and certain types might be you know who's to say that 1500 years ago people didn't you know, people didn't, couldn't, people couldn't be magic, for example. Who's to say that? Magic has gone from the world. It's like Game of Thrones, isn't it? We just need to fight for it to come back. But that's beside the point. This is silly. This is tricksy. This is carnival magic. As entertaining as it always may be, it's just a trick. It's an entertaining trick. But that's that's a lot of this movie as well. It's just full of tricks. You can't help being drawn in by the characters and what they're doing. But they are putting on a performance, obviously. But And, it, you know, it kind of builds to the point where the performance they're putting on becomes more serious with certain people than just a simple game. Like, they're dealing with trying to bring back people's dead relatives and long-lost loves and things like that, and it's really cruel to these people at a certain point, which ultimately leads to the downfall of Stanton Carlyle himself, which is, is, I suppose, the whole purpose, the whole message of the movie, is this rags-to-riches-to-rags kind of tale, which is always interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and um, the thing that kind of gets me that's the ultimate trick is that... Uh, right, i got to look up the actor's name because I need to give him credit for this. Tyrone Power. Tyrone Power, yes, I love Tyrone Power. First of all, what a name to have as an actor. I wonder if that's his real name. It probably is. It's definitely whatever. not Tyrone Power's real name. We all know how old Hollywood liked to operate, Nolan, in the sense that everybody got stage names. I actually don't know for certain if Tyrone Power isn't actually called Tyrone Power. I just think it would be too ridiculous if it wasn't a stage name. I do like him, though. Be like calling you Morgan Lightning. Exactly. It's an absurd name. It's a great name, and I love it. But yes, Tyrone Power, go ahead. The th the thing that's the biggest trick is that in the beginning, it actually the movie does a good job at making you believe that he's just a really nice dude. Like he's charming, charismatic. You think he's just the good guy and everything, but he's a carnival guy, which ultimately means he's a con man. Yeah. So it's almost like he's conning the audience, and that's where I feel the noir element comes in. You think you know the guy, but you don't really know what's going on with the guy until the very end. That's a very good point, because that kind of 
that kind of thing comes into a lot of noir, isn't it? It's always about mystery. It's always about you're not really sure who's who or what's what. It is very much the case in this movie. I like Tyrone Power because I think he he always has an inquisitive look about him. I think he's a he's a good example of yes, you need to be a good actor to be, you know, a famous movie star. But it's a lot about the actual physicality of you, the person, as well. Because he has this kind of... He has this uh, this brow that is seems always furrowed and kind of hooks over his eyes quite a lot, which makes him seem really focused all the time and very inquisitive. Like I said, that seems to work so well for him in the movies I've seen him in. And, you know, this is a man who has played Zorro. Not Zorro. Yes, Zorro. I got confused between Zorro and the Count of Monte Cristo again. He has played Zorro. But when I prefer him, is he, he's perfectly capable of, of playing action-adventure, romantic-leading men. But I always prefer him when he's a more deeply interesting human character like he is in this movie like he is in witness for the prosecution as well for example because he has this ability to just look at something and you see they say the eyes are the window to the soul nolan tyrone power has these eyes where you just look at and you there's a lot going on behind there and that is due to the physicality of him. You can't teach that. You can't train that. That is just somebody looking at Tyrone Power as a young man and going, you have the look of a movie star. And he does. So there is an element to that. I think that can be forgotten sometimes, actually. It's that, yes, of course, you need to be a good actor, like I said, but natural... Natural, and there's a natural thing that can help, and that's not something everybody has, unfortunately. No, but what when you're describing there, that's that's also what Bradley Cooper is, and he's yeah. playing like the Tyrone Power role in the new one. Like, and I've just realized I really hope this doesn't end up like when we did a Star Is Born and lost that episode. For those of oh, you who are keeping would... up on It's a Wonderful Podcast lore. The Lost A Star Is Born episode. Yeah, that <laughs> takes me back. Wow. We, ne no, we didn't, we never did that. That was another Bradley Cooper remake, wasn't it? Yeah. That's we what we don't get put the that episode out. Whatever happened to it? I don't know. It was lost. It was lost. It, it's just, it's lost forever. Who knows where the Star Is Born episode is? But it was recorded. It was never uh, put out, though. Who knows? crazy another, another character i really like in this but maybe it's my affection for like really tough guys who ha are like super emotional is the strongman character oh bruno bruno is uh, he, he's a babe i i, I like bruno so? a lot <laughs> he's a bit pushy and stuff but he's a babe he just wants to make sure that his uh, girlfriend's okay and he's getting very threatened by the existence of tyrone power just even talking to his girlfriend I mean, 
to a point I can understand that because, you know, Tyrone Power would definitely be one to steal someone's woman. <laughs> Not that that is an ownership situation that we're getting into, but you know what I mean. I understand Bruno's jealousy. He's just a... He's got a big heart behind those... Behind that massive chest, hasn't he? And... He shows that. He needs to to keep those pecs pumping. He does. And he does do that by beating people up when he thinks it's... uh, When he thinks Tyrone Power's going to steal his girlfriend, which he actually does, but then they switch up. It's a weird... This movie has a weird relationship with relationships as well. Like, on a dime, the couples seem to just switch... There's two main couples at the start of this movie, and it's Tyrone Power and his psychic partner, played by Joan Blondell, who I also really liked seeing in this movie and in this type of movie as well, because I'm much more used to seeing Joan Blondell in pre-code movies of the early 30s, in comedies and kind of in more sex symbol kind of roles. And she's really... Very, very different here. This is obviously, you know, 15 years later, 1947, this movie, to when I'm more used to seeing her. But she's great in this as well. A slightly older Joan Blondell, who is actually showing us great acting ability in a much more serious, dramatic role than what I'm used to seeing her in. So I loved seeing that. But you get them two at the start as kind of this couple situation. And then Molly comes in, who is Bruno's girlfriend. And then halfway through the movie, Tyrone Power is just like, okay, I'm with Molly now. Let's get married. And then that happens. And then the rest of the movie. It's weird. It's weird. We don't think too much about the fast-moving relationships of old movies, do we, Nolan? If we did, we would be here for hours and hours and hours trying to philosophize about it. Well, there's one thing in it that does remind me of the modern day. There's a guy named Pete. Oh, Pete, a very sad character. Who drives from drinking wood alcohol instead of moonshine. I've never tasted wood alcohol before, but I've tasted moonshine, and I have... I have more belief that the moonshine would kill you rather than the wood alcohol. Have you ever tasted well, moonshine? No, I haven't. I've had I tasted home brewed moonshine from a very nice South African family where I used to grow up. Oh, and my wow. god, just sniffing this stuff would knock you out. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to do though, isn't it? That's why the poor man is is the poor man is is dealing with things, Nolan. He he's not well, Pete. He's not mentally well. He is driven to this alcoholism. He he's basically latching on to his life in the carnival in this psychic act that Tyrone Power and Joan Blondell put on. He is the guy under the stage, uh, basically telling them what to say in order to seem like they're actually getting these people's questions correct. Because how this act seems to work at the beginning 
is they get everybody to write on these on these little pieces of paper in the audience of the carnival. And then they gather the paper in. They secretly drop all these all these questions down into the stage to Pete. And then they get a load more paper up. They burn that paper because and then everybody thinks, oh, they've burned all the questions. How will they ever know what we've asked? And then obviously it's you know the it's the the trick is there that they are able to answer the questions because Pete is the key to that, and that's how that works. But Pete is well, he's in love with Joan Blondell, isn't he? Really, pretty much. Yeah, he's he's the one that like he's the one character who kind of exists as like. He's the sign that something is gonna ha- bad is gonna happen. Essentially, you know, you get those kind of characters in the war yeah. movies. Yeah, he very much is, and unfortunately, he rather tragically meets his end about forty-five minutes into the movie, which kind of sets us up for the almost the second half of the movie as it was it it almost feels like it's in two acts this movie where you get the first yeah where you get the first where it's Tyrone Power kind of building himself up at the original carnival where they're all at and we get to see his charm we get to see his manipulation of people we get to see all that kind of stuff that he then takes to be very, very successful as a psychic or as a, as a mentalist, as they call it in this movie, on stage at, at fancy gatherings and things like that, where he's performing for rooms of very well-dressed people, these psychic tricks you know answering people's questions while blindfolded because with the with molly it is now who he's doing that with and then he builds up and builds up from there to the point where we've where we were talking about before of it getting too serious for you know it it becoming the the things he is trying to do his manipulation of people becomes too serious and it ends up you know he ends up shooting himself in the foot it ends up exploding back in his face and sends him tumbling back down which i suppose is the third act if you want to class it as three acts is him falling back down and being basically a beggar again by the end of the movie I really, I really appreciated the last line of this movie, which I think summed it up really well. And I'll paraphrase, but it's something like, how could a man so big fall so low? And the answer to that is, well, he, he tried to be too big. I'm paraphrasing there, but it's something like that. Again, it's what I was speaking about before. This whole movie is a lesson in humility. And yeah. don't get too full of yourself because you'll only you'll only end up back 
where he started. Yeah, because he's trying to be like a jack of all trades, isn't he? Like a once the circ, because like he starts doing the act that the uh, woman was doing in the beginning, and you can tell he's kind of like he's taking on too much responsibility and too much, and he's letting that inflate his ego a lot. It's almost like he's the only one that's keeping this circus employed. Yeah, yeah. It it seems, or it seems like he believes that at least. Anyway, it might not be true, and this. You know, there's another character who is actually the owner of the carnival. But it seems very much that Stan Carlyle is sees himself as the leader, as the key piece of what's going on here. But yeah, it's it's egotistical and that's the whole point of this movie. A lesson in a lesson to not be e- egotistical. It just gets very quite sad. Um, later on in the movie, when you're dealing with that old woman's, you know, daughter who passed away, and that the guy who is he is he like a, I forget exactly the role of this gentleman, but he he's he's an older gentleman who's for 35 years ago lost his love she died and he's not seen it this gentleman wants to bring tyrone power down because he sees him as a con artist i think he's got something to do with the police i mean that could serve as like uh sort of like a future projection of what stan's gonna become Possibly, possibly. In, you mean in the sense of pining for something from decades ago? Yeah, and trying to take on too much and then ultimately ending up alone. Po- yeah, possibly. possibly. This is not a happy that, movie. Though. I feel like we should clarify that. No, it's not. It's not. It's, it's, a, it's a morality tale. It's not a happy movie at all. It's not the shock horror movie that a title like Nightmare Alley would possibly suggest it is but no you are right it's certainly not a joyful movie but it's a very very interesting one it's a movie i feel like well i was very i was very i was very into i was very gripped by it 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 latched onto me and it didn't want to let go which is it's kind of what you want from somewhat mysterious noir movies anyway but i really appreciated it for that yeah and stuff like him breaking into the doctor's home yeah go ahead yeah yeah like uh, i I believe kate blanchett plays that character in the new one but it's just so i've got to remember exactly what he does but it was one of my favorite scenes because it just at the beginning you see him as this very charming guy who could get a girl if he wanted to and then at the end it's almost like he's resorted to becoming a stalker yeah very much so because he falls in with the with this kind of psychiatrist doesn't he who again this is all in this kind of second half of the movie where at this point stanton carlisle is a very famous performer and, and and obviously a very egotistical one, 
and he meets up, he meets this psychiatrist played by Helen Walker, who he falls in with as a a little bit of a romantic thing there. However, at this point, he's still married to Molly from earlier on, who he performs with, who he has, you know, the who knows the the code of the psychic performance and all that business because apparently i mean it must take ages to actually learn this code that they use because it's all about the inflections and pronunciations of certain letters in certain words when you are speaking but you could be speaking anything yet it seems to be able to be translated for tyrone power to give the correct answer to a question that he's being asked during the performance i found that kind of fascinating because i'm sure that's the exact exactly the kind of thing that these performers use and used in real life it takes a hell of a lot of memory and and, and skill to actually do this and which is why i suppose we shouldn't look down on carnival performers, circus performers. They are tremendously skilled people. Magicians are ridiculously skilled people. They're not magic. They're not Harry Potter. But they're ridiculously skilled people in manipulation and in sleight of hand and whatever it may be. Yeah, I tried to do stage magic in my youth and it's hard. It is it so is. hard. To gra- You're only as good as your last trick. Years and years and years of practice, which I suppose why, you know, it needs to take a certain level of of person with a certain level of dedication to go into a profession like that. You almost need to have at least a good deal of arrogance and self-belief like Stanton Carlyle has in order to actually succeed in the profession he is in it's just i don't think the movie's condemning the profession as much as it's condemning just becoming too full of yourself there's a very fine line there though between being as confident in yourself as you need to be to do that job and then taking it overboard and when he takes it overboard is obviously when he starts dealing with people's very, very personal situations when it comes to dead daughters and long-lost loves. And they try, you know, he tries playing, he tries manipulating those situations and he tries getting Molly involved and she's not really up for doing it and it all bursts into flames in front of him. Which is, you feel sorry for him at the time, you feel sorry for him when that happens... But upon reflection, you don't. (laughs) The movie presents it as a big shocking moment. And a big, you know, for you the watching it. But it's, you know, sitting on the movie, sleeping on the movie. You realise that that was the best thing that could have happened to him. Because he would have just gotten worse and worse and worse as a person. And you don't want that for him. 
because you actually rather like him as a character. Or at least I do. I don't know if you agree with any of that. I mean, he, he's relatable in a sense that you you have a desire to almost want to be like him and you understand the struggles he goes through, but it's also like, like we said earlier, sort of a cautionary tale of like letting your ego control you as opposed to like keeping it in check. Yeah. Cause like people have egos. Let's not pretend ego is a bad thing. It's when people don't know how to control their egos. Exactly. That it gets bad. Exactly. Uh, uh, you know, a level of, a level of confidence in, people is very very important you know having self-belief having the it's what it's what what i always love about you know the best sports people the best sports people always know they're the best you know they strut around a bit they they don't have to say it but they basically say it with their actions of i can do things everybody else can't do and you can't help but respect that. But there is levels to it. There is levels to it. And we see those levels in this movie. And, and that's what's, that is what's crossed in order to give us the cautionary tale it gives us. Otherwise, it would be a fairly straightforward movie about how being confident in yourself leads to great success. The end. If it did do that, then I do feel it would come off as kind of propaganda-y. Little bit, yeah. Little it bit. wouldn't. It wouldn't feel as true. I mean, in all stories about guys who achieve great things, there's always someone that gets screwed over. Yeah, of course there is. I mean, in in a strange way, in a strange way. I don't know what you think about this, but I looked at this movie almost like. It seemed to me to have the same structure as Scarface and both versions of Scarface in the sense that it's rags to riches to rags by the end or in Scarface's end, death. But the build-up of confidence in an already talented person who manipulates people who screws some people over, but you can't help but actually like the protagonist. In both versions of Scarface, this as well, the 32 version and, and Al Pacino's version. Wildly different movies that they are, but they're the same structure. And by the end, it, it all falls to pieces. And I always love that. I always love that story. I always love... I. I really like both versions of Scarface because of their cautionary tales. So I, I, I viewed this with a very similar lens, I think. So I liked that. Can you see the mirrors there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sort of like you can't get to the top without knocking a few people down. Eventually that's yep. going to come back and bite you and you're going to make enemies. Yeah. You could apply that to any form of struggle. You could apply that to moving up in a manager position and working in a pub or a shop. Very true. Having a podcast and hoping that it beats out all the other podcasts. I know, but that, what I don't think we do know <laughs> is we don't condemn other 
other people's podcasts. We don't go, we're better than you, please listen to us. We simply just present ourselves and allow the people to come to us if they so wish. Yeah, the, I mean, screw the Some Like It Hot podcast, the other <laughs> classic movie podcast. Uh, <laughs> sure, okay. Well, I don't even—I don't know if that's a real podcast. If it is, I'm sure you guys are lovely people. It might be. It might be. Wait, wait, we, we I don't. I don't. I, I don't believe in any sort of. There shouldn't be a competition in in this kind of situation. We should all s- support each other, and you know, we do this kind of stuff because it's fun for us. We do this kind of stuff because it opens us up to seeing movies we've never seen before, like this movie we're talking about today. Are you glad you've seen this before you've seen the Guillermo del Toro version? Definitely, because I'll be honest with you, I've been so poor at keeping up to date with new releases and things like that, I didn't even realize, before you suggested doing this movie, that there was another version of this movie and Guillermo del Toro was doing it. So I will definitely be going seeing the remake. I mean, did you want to talk a little bit about how we think that remake is going to... I mean, it'll definitely be filmed beautifully. That'll be... That's no doubt. Sure. Uh, I don't uh, think it will quite have the, shall we say, shadowy noir style to it, because I don't think Del Toro is necessarily that. Del Toro's more colourful. Yeah, he'll probably go like more otherworldly with it, and I've heard he has changed the ending slightly, but... I don't know, okay. we'll see. It'll definitely uh, it'll be well acted, well directed, and well shot, for sure. Will it affect me the same way as this movie? I do not know. Time will tell. But how will Bradley Cooper stand up to Tyrone Power? Bradley Cooper's a very charismatic actor, so I can see him doing it. And he doesn't get nearly enough credit as he deserves, really. Bradley Cooper's like a sort of underrated leading man. He is. He is. I do like Bradley Cooper. I do. I feel like sometimes... I feel like, unfortunately for Bradley Cooper, his most famous role, you can't see his face. Unfortunate. I think that's a, an unfortunate thing that's happened to Bradley Cooper's career. It's obviously great, and he's obviously great as Rocket in the MCU. But you can't see his face, and you can't really ever tell it's him because he's putting on the weird extra accent that doesn't no. sound anything like Bradley Cooper. So I feel like that, it does. it's not a drawback for Bradley Cooper, but it may lead to that kind of attitude there that you just had about him where he's the almost the forgotten great leading man. Well, he actually is that. He can do that. Of course he can do that. And I hope he shows that in this movie because I think it's a great role for him because he can be very, very charming and very, very troubled all in the same role, which is exactly what you need for this. It's what he showed in A Star Is Born and it's exactly what you need in this movie. Definitely. So I do like that. Yeah, he he's like the kind of leading man that can sort of toe the line between being hero and villain. Yeah, like I'm surprised he's not played more villains. Yeah, he's got a long career left. 
he's played a lot of like dickhead heroes and he's definitely come a long way from like the hangover yeah i mean sometimes i even forget he was in that movie i know i know i mean he seems so he seems so much past so so far past that now compared to the other people that were in that who are still a little bit holding their careers based on that movie. Bradley Cooper's done so much more than to be Bradley fair, Cooper probably. also he has this look about him where he looks like the kind of guy that you don't want to piss off. And I feel that's key for playing the role Tyrone Power plays here. I mean, yeah, I I get that. You don't want to cross him. I get that. Because he's kinda of, although I, I'm I've gotta say, I feel like well, I don't know if this is fair or not. I was going to say I feel like Bradley Cooper's sexier than Tyrone Power, but Tyrone Power's a pretty good-looking dude. He is. They're both equally good-looking. But by that, what I actually meant was that Bradley Cooper may not be able, simply by looking like Bradley Cooper, to be as vulnerable in parts that I think Tyrone Power is in this movie. And like I say, that inquisitive look that I was talking about with Tyrone Power before, Bradley Cooper doesn't have that because Bradley Cooper doesn't have that same face, obviously. So, But it's a different movie and it's a different take on the movie and we'll need to see what Del Toro does with that. You know, Del Toro's great at readapting and reimagining things anyway, so I'm sure he's going to do a great job. And I'm excited to see it, yeah. whatever it turns into. You know full well the carnival scenes will be slightly more wacky than they are in this original 47 version. Mm -hmm. And I do believe, actually, I could be wrong on this, but I do think... Willem Dafoe is playing the. Uh, oh, I, I, th I thought he was playing uh, Pete in the remake. Turns out he's not. Because oh. that's who I would have thought he'd be playing. He is in the remake, though. Yeah, he is in it. Who is he playing? Is he playing the, the guy who tries to knock him down with the long lost love? Is he playing that dude? He's playing a guy called Clement Clem Hotley. I don't remember who that is. Maybe some of the names have changed. I don't know. You know, yeah, what he's, I uh, he's not he's not in the cast in the original, so it might be. Uh, well, it is based on a book. Maybe the forties movie omitted some stuff from the book. That's true. And Guillermo del Toro is a big reader, so maybe he wants to make a more accurate book adaptation. Are you into seeking out the book to find to read? Possibly, yeah. I do like this one bit of casting as well. Ron Perlman is playing Bruno. Oh, that's a phenomenally perfect. Yes. <laughs> well done. What a way to get Ron Perlman, who's always in your movies, Guillermo. What a way to put him in this movie. That's perfect. I like that. Massive, yeah. hulking, six foot six, huge man. Yes, a behemoth of a man. He is. Just like Bruno was, to be fair, in, in, in this version. 
I wish I Bruno had a mustache because then he could join the Mustache Hall of Fame. Bruno in this movie seemed to me like he was of he was built like Robert Mitchum. I mean, he's taller than Robert Mitchum, and he's he's more built than Robert Mitchum, but in the sense that he doesn't look particularly fit and healthy. Yet he's just massive, like a heavyweight boxer. You know, like Tyson Fury. Kind of, yeah, I get what you mean. Who just doesn't look fit and healthy, but clearly is, because he's just huge. That That's what you get from Ron Perlman. That's what I get from Ron Perlman. That's what I get from Bruno in this movie, who who is played by, let's actually give the man some credit, for God's sake. It would just be... Mike Mazurki. Yes, Mike Mazurki. There you go. Who is a large gentleman. And it's also what I get from, from Tyson Fury <laughs> and to a point from Robert Mitchum, like I've just said. His Wikipedia page is so insulting on the first thing. His six foot five inch presence and face had him typecast as often brainless athletes, tough guys, thugs, and gangsters. It works, though. Such find a backhanded niche, compliment. <laughs> it is, but, you know, he's found his niche. He looks like a brainless athlete who's just a big hulking figure. He would have played the Hulk in the 50s if the Hulk was a character in the 50s, which he obviously wasn't. What am I talking about, Nolan? I don't know anymore. I really did enjoy this movie, though, I must say. Yeah, I did as well, and uh, I could see myself rewatching it and possibly reading the book at some point once I get through reading all the other books that I have on my list. I hope it has a good Blu-ray somewhere. You know, I think the whole Criterion stuff with it. Blu-ray. Oh, Criterion, Schmiterion. Criterion's terrible in Britain, and you know it is. <laughs> you you want to go for all the other ones. Uh, let's let's take a look Blu-ray at the Nightmare companies. Alley Blu-rays that are available. <laughs> well, I don't know if they might be there, but I, I I would I would hope something like this has a has a really good Blu-ray because it's a pretty well. I mean, it's a pretty culturally significant movie, I suppose, isn't it? A famous yeah. movie. It has one of those dual format Blu-rays with the weird white cases. A white case. Yeah, uh, I've noticed they do this for a lot of older films. They give them like sort of grey or see-through cases. Oh, that sounds weird. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I do know that I, I suppose, had fun watching this movie as simply, simply because I just thought it was clever. It was simple. It was really really effective and you know me when it comes to dark fairly grim feeling black and white movies i'm very into them you You sort your lighting out right and you make a movie that morgan loves that's that's what that's what noir can take from my opinion is that you're doing well if you make a noir that looks like a noir, it can be as cliche as possible. I will probably enjoy it. 
However, like I said, this was pretty unique for me in terms of the noir movies that I've seen simply because it wasn't a crime detective story, as many of them obviously are, because that's the easiest way of making something a bit gruesome. Uh, don't necessarily need to be gruesome to be a good noir movie. You just need to be a little bit twisted, have some weird human crisis going on, and tell a morality tale that this one did. Yay. Good job, Nightmare Alley. Well done. Anything you wished to add, Nolan, before we begin to wrap up about this movie? The one scene where they put the sparks through Molly. Oh, yes. We ha why haven't we talked about that? That, I mean, it exists as kind of a double play for me because he says, oh, she needs to be in the revealing outfit because otherwise she'll burst into flames. It's kind of a double meaning of him basically saying, yeah, either you're going to dress up like that uh, on my orders or you're going to die. But it's also presented as like a safety thing. It's, I don't know, that just, that sums up Tyrone Power's character perfectly for me. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I would also like to bring that point into the, the say, the context of making the movie, which is, obviously we are dealing with prime haze cold years where people are not allowed to necessarily be overly sexual Cannot show their ankles, shall we say? Which is obviously why Joan Blondell's playing characters like this and not characters like she was doing in Blonde Crazy from 1931, for instance. A great movie that that is with Jimmy Cagney. But I can just imagine the producers being right. We want a little bit of scandalousness in this movie. We have the carnival. What the carnival needs is just a touch of scandalousness. Colleen Gray, who plays Molly, we need her in this outfit. Why? We're not allowed to... We, you can't have her in that outfit. You're not allowed to have her in that outfit. But there's one scene with a really cool electric, electrocution effect. Look at this that we've made. Isn't this a really cool effect? Ooh, I like that effect. And we've got a reason for it as well. She needs to be in this outfit because otherwise she would die. And you don't want her dying, do you? The haze cold people. No, no, no. We don't want her dying. Okay, you can use you can use the scantily clad person for this fun effect because we like that effect so much. I would like to believe that was the conversation that took place, Nolan. They were so impressed by the electrocution effect that they allowed a little bit of leeway in that department. Which is also why you wore that outfit on New Year's Eve. Exactly. Whereas the reality was, of course, that I was in bed at half past ten on New Year's Eve because I don't like New Year's. <laughs> I like the fact it's a new year. You know, Happy New Year, everyone, and all that business. Aren't we excited that It's a Wonderful Podcast, the main show, is back in 2022? Of course we are. But New Year's Eve, I don't care for. I've never have done. Never have done. Uh, fuck New Year's Eve. 
Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Nolan, Nightmare Rally. When is it out in Britain? It, uh, I think it's January 21st. Okay. So we can enjoy Scream next week and then enjoy Nightmare Rally the following week. Oh, lovely. Very nice. I like that. Although I hate that in 2022, my most anticipated movie of the year is coming out next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't know what's going to be slated for the end of the year yet, do you? Little movie-wise. Big movie-wise, yes. But little movie-wise, no. Knowing it, there'll probably be some weird horror, a superhero movie that people keep fighting over. And uh, the overhyped movie of the year. There's always that. I get the impression you're tired of superhero movies and the fights that come with them. I'm more tired of the fights that come with them because it's just like, stop fighting over the popularity of superhero movies. They exist. Enjoy them. Enjoy the ride. (laughs) Who gives a fuck which Batman is the best or which Spider-Man is best? This is why I like the horror film community because I've never had a stranger call me a cunt over which ghost face is the best. (laughs) This is also why I like, and I hope you do too, the old movie community, the old Hollywood community. So much celebration in there, Nolan. You'll never get into any arguments about old movies that we talk about on the main show because it's just love and appreciation and a want to showcase these movies that we don't want to be forgotten on to new people, to new generations of people, because I saw a horrible, horrible, horrible thing uh, the other week of how, basically how, you know, everything, the future is streaming and all that business and how streamers, big streamers are basically killing people watching old movies so our job as moral crusaders that we are with it's a wonderful podcast nolan becomes ever more important in getting knowledge and love of old movies out there to people to as many people as possible because we we, we, it will not be censored I will not have it being cut out of people's lives. Ah, remember the classics, man. Movies didn't start with Star Wars and Jaws. No, they did as not. As good as they are. They started with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Dirty Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. How could I forget the first movie ever made? Dirty Harry. <laughs> A fine movie that it is. A a really good action movie, but yes, okay. Lovely stuff, Nolan. Nightmare Alley, 1947. That is what we have been talking about on this week's episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. Episode 192, the first main show in 2022. We're back for another year. We're not going anywhere. More celebration of old movies more love, more discovering new weirder ones that we have never heard of before because that is what we love doing here on It's a Wonderful Podcast, isn't it? 
Indeed it is, and what I will continue to love doing for the next year. But no more than that, because that's when Nolan's going by. <laughs> that's not yeah. happening. Don't worry. That's when I changed my name again. <gasps> yes, you then become... The Glasgow say something clever. The Glasgow <laughs> Punk. Have you got? Have you just got Dirty Harry in your mind now? Are you just calling people punks and re referencing Dirty Harry? No, I'm just listening to too much punk albums. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> that makes more sense. Why do you think I ordered a guitar? Because you're becoming a punk rocker. Yes, yeah, a punk rocker. And uh, we know we know you don't like punk rockers. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. It's all you hear on the radio. They're everywhere. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> punk rockers. There's one for you. If you get that, I love you. Anyway, there we go. It's a wonderful podcast. The main show is not the only show you can find on this podcast feed. We have Morgan Hasn't Seen on Wednesdays, where me and Janine are. And Janine forces me to watch movies that I haven't seen at all. Oh, this and is going to be the year I'm going to get her to make you watch How to Train Your Dragon. I don't know. But we're doing competition movies for January, which was a Patreon-chosen topic. And we started this week, this Wednesday, with a Spelling Bee movie directed by Jason Bateman called Bad Words. It also starred Jason Bateman. It was really crude and nasty and funny and sweet and very, very unique. Go and listen like, to that Just like episode. Jason Bateman. Just like Jason Bateman, exactly. Go and listen to that episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen. We also have Machine Mondays, which I believe is back this coming Monday with the Schmodown Awards nominations going out. And Janine is back with... Every Monday with Machine Mondays from now all through the rest of the year for the Schmodown season. Aren't we excited for that as well? Of course we are. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have you covered here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Amazon Music and all the other places. We have the It's a Wonderful Podcast Patreon, of course, patreon.com. Slash It's a Wonderful One. Go on there. Find the tier that is right for you. Support us on there if you can. We also have the YouTube channel. It's a Wonderful Podcast on YouTube for all the live discussions, the watch-alongs, the fun stuff that we have going on there as well. And plenty more stuff coming there soon too, including this weekend, Cobra Kai, Season 4. It dropped. We're talking about it. Oh, God, I'm going to vomit everywhere. Morgan hates Terry Silver. We all know I hate Terry Silver. Yes, we do. <laughs> what else do we have? You can find the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Find me on Twitter at The Purple Don with a three instead of the E in there because three is the magic number on Instagram at The Purple Don and Nolan. All your hilarious stuff is where my hilarious stuff is on the glasgow kid one at twitter but my normal hilarious stuff is on nolan dean 27 on twitter and also you can find me at nolan dean 27 on tiktok and the glasgow kid on youtube i just put up 
another little comedy bit, which was a nice monologue about COP26 performed live at the keg in Paisley, where I like to do and test out new material. I will be performing at a show in April, an actual booked comedy show. The Diversity Quota guys saw my material and they were like, hey, we think you'd be good for our show. Come on down and perform. So if you're at the Glasgow University, come down to that building on Wednesday, April the 27th. And you can see the Glasgow kid testing out some of his new material and going home realizing that your lives are meaningless, (laughs) which is what I will be doing. How what a lovely promotion that is for everyone, Nolan. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Is there anything else? Um, go check out Scream next week because I'm not yes. seeing enough hype about it on the timeline. Spider-Man No Way Home's over. Give that same hype it to is. Scream. Scream is the yes. No Way Home for horror fans. Is it though? It's Possibly. been ten years since the last Scream movie. I deserve this. Has been a long time. Has been a long time. I'm very. I've resorted to watching the MTV show to prep because I've already watched the Scream movies several times. Ooh, that's got nothing to do with anything, though. (laughs) Why are you watching that anyway? There we go. I think this is where I say thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. Episode 192, that 200th is coming on us quickly. And we're going to get scared, because it's going to be here before we know it. But we'll have something special, don't you worry about that. Thank you everyone for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Nolan, see us out. Let's talk about superhero movies for a minute. Oh, not again. Do we have to? Please, no. Superhero movies have become huge lately, haven't they? I quite like superhero movies. Always have. I enjoy that kind of escapism. Going into a world where you know all the heroes are going to be there to save you. Unless you live in the world of Dean Cain's Superman. (laughs) (laughs) The Marvel movies took quite a hit recently when Letitia Wright, the actor who plays Shuri in Black Panther, outed herself out as an anti-vaxxer and they had to stop production after she suffered an injury. And I thought to myself, come on, Letitia, the post-vaccine pain isn't that bad. (laughs) But it's a serious thing, you know. Chadwick Boseman, who played Black Panther, died of colon cancer a while back. And if he was still alive today, she would actively be putting him in danger. I read about the death of Chadwick Boseman and I thought, wow, Marvel contracts can't do everything. They've said now that they're planning to rewrite the ending of Black Panther 2 because of Letitia Wright's larger role in it. It's assumed she's going to become the new Black Panther. And I figured the new ending is going to be Shuri refusing the heart-shaped herb because she wants to do her own research before putting anything in her body. (laughs) (laughs) Superman also made the headlines last year. DC Comics gave Superman a boyfriend. Most people shrugged and thought, all right, fair enough. But there was a lot of people who don't read comics screaming, Superman loves Lois Lane, only to realize that the Superman had become bis- had become bisexual was Clark Kent's son. So these folk don't want a queer Superman at all, but they're happy to read one that will fuck his mum. 
guess that's truth <laughs> justice in the American way for you. 